I'm an alcoholic. Sobriety. Sobriety date is October 19th, 2019. So about two weeks, three weeks after Medoc of 2019. <laughs> I, I have a home group. It's There's a Solution group in Holly Springs. And I have a sponsor. Stay up to date with him. Um, kind of what Jerry alluded to a little bit. I know I have to keep this short and sweet, but um, it's a privilege to speak in front of you all. Um, it's a privilege to be alive, and it's just the irony of me actually speaking here is what kind of gets me. Um, so let me backtrack a little bit to my first experience with Medoc Mountain. Um, it wasn't pretty, we'll put it that way. So I, uh, my sponsor says, hey, we're going camping. Just bring your big book. I said, okay. I, I wasn't totally sober then. Um, so he met me at a gas station down the road because I didn't know how to get here. And I actually had a box of wine under my seat of my car then, and I threw it out at that gas station and proceeded to drive here. But at that point, you know, I was fine. It was just, you know, I was going with the flow, drinking Red Bull, whatever, trying to pretend that, you know, I wasn't getting ready to face the inevitable doom, which was the withdrawals that I always went through. This is a perfect place to do that, by the way, especially if it's uh, 95 degrees outside and, you know, the whole purpose of this I didn't realize was, you know, walking through the big book and truly getting a grasp of sobriety. Um, so needless to say, that first couple hours was fine. Um, and I think it was about 10.30 that morning. I looked at my sponsor and walked away. And next thing I know, he comes up and knocks on my car window. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going home. I can't do this. He said, no, no, you got to... I was actually on the phone, probably tell you. I was on the phone with my mom, too, telling her, I'm coming home. And um, I was done. You know, I just couldn't face what I knew was coming. So needless to say, the next two days was misery. Um, I didn't eat a single bite of food the whole time I was here. I thought I was going to throw up probably 500 times. I couldn't. Don't think I slept. I had resentment to get every single person that I walked in front of me just because <laughs> the world was spinning in front of me. But, you know, it was one of those things I got through it. And I thought maybe by getting through that weekend, you know, life would change. It didn't. I got in my car and got on the highway and thought, all right, there's some football on this afternoon. I know what's going to make me feel better. I need to stop and get some wine because that was what I was drinking at the time for whatever odd reason. So I'm driving down and I get about 30 minutes away from here and I'm looking at every single car behind me to the side of me, in front of me, thinking, Jonathan or Jerry have somebody watching me. <laughs> this is true, this is true. And I, you know, these, these roads, you know, some random back roads I was not familiar with. So I saw one where there's plenty of gas station. I could not stop there. The chances of me running into somebody was a lot better at one of those places. So I got off the highway and drove for about five miles. Found a gas station, got in my car, drove home, looking over my shoulder every sip I took. I was freaked out. I thought people were watching me, following me. Um, and I wasn't ever really a paranoid person, but this weekend or that weekend did it in for me. Um, so needless to say, I got home and continued on my old ways. Uh, I didn't listen. Um, you know, I just kept drinking. It was something that I didn't think that obsession would ever go away. And I'm, you know, I didn't really think I ever, I knew I had a drinking problem, but there was a lot of things I couldn't relate to. I'd never been arrested. I've never gotten a DUI. Never truly got fired from a job for drinking, even though I drank at 
the last three jobs I had, but I was laid off with my team, so I kind of still in the back of my head don't correlate the two, but it's probably the same reason. But I, I just didn't think I had that big of an issue. I mean, I just thought it was normal to wake up at 8.30 in the morning, start pounding wine. I worked at that point a mile from my house, and I'd leave an hour and a half early. My parents thought I worked at 7.30. I didn't start till 9. And it was, an hour, it was a mile away. Because I would go to the gas station every single morning and get two boxes of wine. Not the big, big ones, you know, the small ones that you could easily hide underneath a car seat. Um, a, a regular person car seat, not a child car seat. Let me just preface that. Um, but so, you know, I didn't think it was ever going to work. I thought it was a lost cause. And, um, you know, it's... And the reason I say the reason I never got arrested or anything is I never really faced trouble. You know, my life was terrible. I had no friends anymore. Um, you know, I had no life. I spent three years prior traveling for work, drinking every single day on every airplane I was on, at every bar I was at alone. So I got used to it. That, that was my life. And I realized that if I just isolate myself from everybody else don't answer phone calls and just text people because I can look at a text and correct it. But once I say something, I can't really go back on that. So that was my plan. That's how it was all going to work. I was just going to live by myself forever and you know, continue doing what I was going to do. My real issue came with my health. Um, you know, I had extremely bad withdrawals. When I was here, when I came to Medoc the first time, I had been to a treatment center in July. And I was, the reason I went to a treatment center is because my brother miraculously came to my house one day. And it happened to be one of those days that I was going through withdrawals. And I knew what was going to happen. If I didn't drink and I figured it all out, if it was eight hours, if I went eight hours without drinking, I was going to be profusely sick. And it's scary. But I realized I'll just wake up at seven hours and go get wine before the eight-hour timer hits and I would be fine. So my brother shows up that random day. And comes over at like 9 in the morning. For whatever reason, I thought, you know what, I'll just power through today. I'll get through it. I didn't. It was every 15 minutes while we were watching football, I was going to the bathroom, laying on the bathroom floor, crying, dry heaving, wishing I died. I remember walking out, and my brother looked at me, finally, after you know, five or six hours of this, and he said, are you okay? And I said, No. And that was the first time I ever admitted that I had a problem. And again, by the grace of God, he happened to be there. And he said, okay, I'm going to take you to the hospital. He took me to the hospital. There's a long wait in the ER. So they give me an IV. I couldn't walk at that time, so I was in a wheelchair. And puts me in the waiting room. I sit there for about an hour. I hear, hey, you know, Brian Gift. They call my name. My brother wheels me over. I woke up five days later. And what happened was when they stood me up from that wheelchair, I had an extreme seizure and collapsed and hit my head. Yet that still did not stop me from drinking. I went straight to a treatment center. I was there for 28 days, and I thought, all right, I did it. Proved my parents wrong. I didn't drink for 28 days. That was easy. I was literally locked at a treatment center. There was no way I could drink. But that was, I was so defiant against everybody. It was me versus the world, and I was winning. So within 48 hours, I started drinking again. And, you know, another grace of God moment, I were driving home. My mom didn't realize this at the time, but she was driving me back to Raleigh. I was starting to go through withdrawals again. So I was agitated, angry, 
every, everything that could happen. And if everything I put her through, I just started arguing with her. All that I could think of is how in this townhouse am I going to get past her, get to the grocery store, get wine, and get rid of this? I said, I got it. I said, Mom, I'm going to an AA meeting. She said, oh, my God, you are? I said, yeah. Said, I'll see you later. So I went. And for whatever reason, this is how my mind worked, I thought there was, like, she had a camera in there. She'd know if I didn't walk in the door or I had to get a paper signed or something. I was going through all these things. So I actually went. And I went to the Carrie Young People meeting. And I think I spoke or said something. And a guy comes up to me after the meeting and hands me a piece of paper. He said, I want you to call this guy. Okay, he goes, call him before you start your car. I said, I looked down at the piece of paper, and if anyone knows my sponsor, he's a very, very generic name. So I looked down, and I saw the name. I was like, oh, my God, this is the name they put on, like, fake credit cards and commercials. <laughs> and I was like, I said, this is a joke. I said, this, you know, I cursed a little bit. I was like, this guy gave me a fake number, blah, blah, blah. I called it for whatever reason. My sponsor answered the phone. Within five minutes, mind you, I grew up in North, Northern Virginia, recently got to Raleigh. His girlfriend, that's now fiance, that's now wife, her and I went to high school together. We knew all the same people. He knew where I was from. Completely random. I mean, we're talking about a God moment. So he said, hey, come out to this meeting. So that's when I started going to there as a solution. And I would go. Drunk. Every single time. And I thought that if I drank enough Red Bull and gave myself a two-hour buffer, that no one would notice. People love reminding me how much they notice. But, um, and so this kind of goes back to uh, never getting in trouble. The first time I was ever put on probation was because of my sponsor. You know, we would read together, and he'd read me the book, and every time before we'd read, he'd be like, did you drink today? No. Did you drink no. yesterday? No. Did you drink the day before that? No. Brian, you smell like alcohol. Okay. And that was, that was it. And so finally, he sits down and we go through the same, same questions every time. But he didn't stop. He wouldn't give up on me. And I kept thinking, if I just piss off enough people and just keep showing up drunk, they're not going to let me in. And then I can go back, tell my mom, hey, didn't work out. They, they expelled me. Sorry. They didn't give up on me. Not once did somebody say, you know, don't come back. It was always, hey, you look great. And for whatever reason, in my mind, I was like, man, I'm fooling everybody. And they'd say, oh, you look great. You know, can't wait to see you on Thursday. And I would show up. And my sponsor would always tell me, just keep coming back. Eventually, it will work. And so that particular day, he looks at me and I'd never seen him angry. And he looks at me and goes, I'm done. He goes, this is it. I'm, I'm done reading to you. I said, all right, good. I know how to read, so that's, I can figure that out. And all he says is, you have to get three days of sobriety before I'll read to you again. It's like, Ooh, bro, you know, this Thursday. Our next meeting's Tuesday. You know, that's, that's a weekend. Uh, and another home group member of ours was was standing right next to us, and we happened to be there about an hour before the meeting, and my sponsor says, hey, why don't you sit down and talk to this guy? So that gentleman, I didn't really know much at, I didn't know about him, I knew who he was from in passing, and he sat down and told me a story. I was blown away. And I remember him telling me, 
Brian, if I can do this, you can do it. And it was one of those moments I was like, wow, these people aren't quitting on me. I haven't died, still haven't gotten arrested, and I'm still standing here. So it was about a week and a half after that is when I actually got sober and went to an Oxford house. But in the process of that, it was all I wanted to do was get kicked out of this program. <laughs> Being at Medoc, I thought every person, and the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes here, I was embarrassed. Um, and I remember there was a young lady here, I don't know if she remembers, but she was talking to my sponsor and she looked at me and goes, you're not the first person that's felt this way here. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, there's plenty of woods I can go puke in, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just, it's so ironic to be up here, the way Jerry scared the hell out of me, and Bree, wherever she is, scared me by telling me I'm going to speak 20 minutes ago. But I started thinking about it, and it's, I'm the luckiest person in the world to not only have never been kicked out of AA as much as I tried, to be welcomed back every single time, to be welcomed back here, to have the opportunity to speak in front of you guys. And I was never one of those people that suicide was never on my mind. I wanted to die every day, but I was never thought about taking my own life. I always had a weird thing. I thought, you know, that's the wrong way to do it. What about my family? And I remember the last day I drank, it was October 18th, that, that morning, my brother came over to the house again. Same exact story. I said, Brian, is, is this happening again? You went to treatment two months ago. I said, oh, yeah, 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 I should go to the hospital. Because we knew what happened last time. I went to, had a seizure and you know, ended up with $65,000 worth of medical bills. And he takes me to the hospital. We get back. And I'm on the phone with my mom. And he's standing right there. This loving voice, you know, Brian, go get through this, you know. And that's how she always was. Say, hey, it's okay. You know, we all have hard times. You'll get through this. We love you. Phone hangs up. Instantly, my phone starts ringing again. And my mom's notorious for butt-dialing people. So I was like, oh, she butt-dialed. Hey, mom. Whole different woman on the phone. Still my mom, just a whole different version of her. And she was pissed. And she let me have it. And the last thing she told to me was, Brian you are committing suicide in front of your family every single day. And one of these days, you're going to die. That was the last day I ever drank in my life. And I've never been so happy. Yeah, I've never had less and been more happy. I always was chasing you know, the ultimate dream of having everything and just thought money would bring happiness. That's not the case. I've never had less and been happier. I've never been so fulfilled in my life. And the opportunity to speak in front of you guys and be a part of this organization of AA, there is a solution. And just learn from every one of you every single day. It's, you know, it's what brings me back. And you know, to anyone new out there that didn't want to come here, just listen. No one's going to ask you to talk. No one's going to tell you to do something. If somebody threatens you or tells you, hey, somebody thinks you have wine in your uh, tent. So that's what, that was the story is Jerry and Bree come up to me. Anytime my phone rings and it's Jerry, panic attack. Instantly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like getting called to the principal's office. It's like your mind's racing. It's like, oh shit, what did I do? What does he know? You know what, did, what did my sponsor tell him? Um, and 
and Bree, who has extended a warm welcome to me ever since the first day I came to theirs, so she should both walk up to me, put my, their hands on my shoulder, and said, we're worried about you. And I was like, all right, well, I told some people I was cold earlier. And I was like, guys, I'm fine. I said, what, what do you mean? And Bree just looks at me, and I guess Jerry laughed, but I threw a drunk driving accident, I was a passenger in, I lost the vision of my left eye, so I didn't see him breaking. But Bree looks at me and goes, Brian, one of the guys told us you have, you have wine in your tent. And I didn't know what to say. It's like, oh my God. Like, I was like, do you want the keys to my tent? Go look, like there's nothing in there. Like, my, my tent does not have a lock by any means. But that's where my mind was going, I was like, my sponsor's sitting right there. I'm like, say something. Like, dude. Like, and th then they tell me, oh, by the way, you know, you're going to give a talk tonight. And I was like, dude, there's a better way to do this. Like, you know, it's, but it, it's just one of those things that, you know, playing sports my entire life, you know, my dad was always, would always tell me, you know, I'd always get pissed. I'm like, you know, the coach is ragging on me. He's doing this and this. He's like, yeah, the people that are going to get on you, that are constantly in your face about stuff, are doing it because they care about you. It's when they stop getting on you. It's when they stop talking to you. That's when you think you've done, you know you've done something wrong. And no matter how many bad things I've done, no matter how much I tried to get kicked out of this program, I was always welcomed back. You know, today I can sit here and tell you that at that point in time, my brother, who had a one-year-old, I remember him explicitly telling me, I do not want Natalie growing up around you. My brother was my best friend. And to hear him say that was heartbreaking. I can tell you now that I have my friends back, my family better than ever. I get to see them all the time. That little girl, I can show you 20 cute pictures of me and her. And the ironic thing with that is she doesn't smile in photos of their family photos. And my sister-in-law gets pissed because the only smile she ever has is in photos with me. And it is because of this program I get to do that. It's because of this program that I get to go to work every single day. You know, I didn't tell my sponsor this, but two days ago I realized that I had put on my calendar that I was going to you know, camping trip for these two days for my work, which my boss can see. And I realized I never requested off those days. I never asked anyone to cover for me. And in my line of work, you have to have somebody covering for you in you know, whatever day you're out, which isn't a problem, but you have to give them two weeks' notice. And I sent my boss a message. I said, hey, you know, you're going to see this on my calendar. Yeah, I made a mistake, forgot to take this off. You know, I'll, I'll just have to go to my camping trip on Saturday. And he doesn't respond. Five minutes later, he sends me a message. Hey, I just talked to, you know, his manager. He said, we want you to know that you've been doing a fantastic job. We love you on this team. And please, go enjoy your camping trip. Take, a, take the whole time. Just please get somebody to cover for you. If not, I'll cover for you on your behalf. Without this program, that never would have happened. When I requested off for previous jobs, they'd be like, are you coming back? Like, you know, it was in, in like a we kind of don't want you to uh, manner. And I can truly say without, without all of you, every single one of you, every time I've heard one of you speak, every time one of you have shared, 
every time one of you has introduced yourself. Yeah, it may not mean much to y'all, but I can tell you it means the world to me. And I couldn't, could not be here without you guys. And I cannot believe that I'm actually speaking at Medoc Mountain. This is, for one, that I'm sober, now going on almost three years, and that I'm still invited back. So thank you guys very much. Good job, Brian. Straight shot. Rachel, take it to him. Hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Rachel Evans. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is April 27th, 2019. I have a home group. It's the Change Agents Group. We meet in Raleigh, North Carolina, Thursdays and Sundays, so come visit us. Um, I have a sponsor, and I do sponsor other women. Um, you know what's weird is that uh, when I was in high school, I woke up and went blind in my left eye, and it's never fully recovered. So I, I don't know how they chose it tonight, but I feel like we were targeted. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, the big book lays out pretty simply. Um, my job is to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, and I remember one time, I had been drinking for a few years, and my dad came up to me and he said that he was really worried about me and that I might want to get some help. And I told him, you know, Dad, I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was a lie. Um, but I told him I had gone, and I had learned exactly what not to do from all of the people there. So there's no way I was going to end up there. Um, so I don't really know what I thought AA was, but it definitely wasn't going to be helpful to me, I didn't think. Um, I didn't think I had a problem, first of all, but... I grew up on these stories of my dad um, drinking and driving, getting in fights in Taco Bell parking lots. Um, it just, just, you know, classic. But he, uh, he doesn't drink anymore. And I've never understood why. But my whole life I thought, you know, I'm going to have these wild, crazy times like my dad. And then one day, when I want to stop, I'll be able to. Because that's exactly what happened. I've asked him before, you know, Dad, like, what made you stop drinking? He said that when my mom was pregnant with my brother, he was sitting with a bottle of wild turkey and said, this isn't the dad I want to be. And he just stopped. And I really thought I was going to be able to do that, not get somebody pregnant, but just stop <laughs> when I was ready to. And I repeatedly tried, I repeatedly tried to stop, and I could not. Um, you know, what it was like was I really loved to drink. Um, I really loved the effect produced by alcohol. Uh, it did not treat me well, but um, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me earlier, like, what college I went to, and I said, which one? Because I had transferred about four times before I actually graduated anything. Um, and I realized, like, living where I live now, it's the longest I've lived in one place since I left home. Um, because I always would pack up and move or be asked to move. Um, after a year or two, I just wasn't welcome in those places anymore. And so I thought moving to Raleigh was the worst thing that was ever going to happen to me. Um, I cried for days when I found out that's what I was going to do. And looking back, you know, I realized something Paige said earlier um, really resonated with me about how, you know, God's plan has always been working in my life. I just wasn't always participating in it. But it was happening whether I wanted it to or not. And ending up in Raleigh was the best thing that actually ever happened to me. So... Uh, before I moved to Raleigh, I lived down in Florida for a little bit, which if you're ever in Florida as an alcoholic, just don't do that. It's not, it's not good. Um, but I was in school down there, and um, 
I remember I went to one of my friend's bachelorette parties, and, uh, and they all told me, they were like, you know, Rachel, we're really worried about you, because we had all gone out the night before. And uh, I decided that when they went to bed, I was going to snoop in their purses and take some things to help me stay awake and clean the house. So I took some things to stay awake and clean the house. And they, they woke up the next morning, and I had mimosas ready, and the Airbnb was clean, and they said... <laughs> Rachel, is everything, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, like, it's, everything's great. And he said, Some, you know, it kind of worries us the way that you're acting. And I said, am I an alcoholic? Probably. Is now the time to worry about it? No. <laughs> and that's the life I lived for the next four years um, and had been living for four before that, or I don't know, however many. Um, but I, uh, I got asked to leave the, uh, the school I was in in Florida and, uh, and I moved up to North Carolina. And by this point, I had already moved from like four different schools. Um, I never was able to stay in the same friend group, even before I started drinking. Like, I just loved to um, be the victim of every situation. Um, if they hadn't looked at me like that, if, if, um, if we had gone this place instead of that, if they'd invited me, even though they knew I didn't want to go, like, everything would have been good. Um, you know, I did, I did put some uh, things about second grade on my fourth step, because uh, if Sam Hansen had not read my diary, like, maybe I wouldn't be here right now, but that's fine. Um, so, uh, before I actually moved from Florida to here, I went back to Tennessee for the summer, and, you know, when I got sober, that last night drinking wasn't the worst night of my life. Like, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but that summer was probably one of the darkest times of my entire life. And I remember the drive from where I lived in Tennessee, from, from that home to my apartment in, in North Carolina, um, was the exact length of the big book on audio tape. And I know this because after my summer back home, which was filled with um, run-ins with, with the law and trying to fight my brother in the front yard, which my mom was not a fan of, and I understand why, um, I, uh, I decided I need to do something, like so, something's not right. And so I googled a uh, textbook of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which I didn't even know if there was a book. I knew nothing about AA at this point, but I remember it pulled up this YouTube video. And so my drive from Tennessee to North Carolina, I listened to the big book on audio tape. It did skip about every seven seconds, so I think that's why I didn't get it that time. <laughs> and I also did get pulled over during Two Wives, so I'm not blaming that chapter. But clearly something didn't sink in. Um, I do remember a few things from it, though. I remember hearing over and over, like, you need to find a, a power greater than yourself. And I remember thinking, like, they're really beating this over the head here. Like, I get it. You don't have to say it so many times. But, like, they could say it some more sometimes, you know? Because I, uh, I can quickly revert back to, I don't know what cult you're trying to get me in, but I don't want a part of it. So, um, anyway. I, uh, <laughs> I also remember the jaywalking story. And I was like, that sounds just like my alcoholism. That is 
that is wild, and not to mention I had actually been hit by two cars as a pedestrian at this point. So I was like, that is, that is so accurate, that is right. And then, like two days later, I'm talking to my friends in North Carolina about it, and I was like, listen to what this book said, it is insane. And I told them the jaywalking story, and they were like, okay, that's cool. I was like, no, I just listened to it like, just, like for history's sake. Like, I just wanted to know historically about it. And they were like, okay, like we've known you for two days. Like, stop talking. I was like, oh. um, and then I also remember them talking about the importance of being with other alcoholics. I don't remember them saying anything about carrying the message at that point, but I do remember hearing that I needed to be surrounded by other alcoholics. So I went to the parking lot of an AA meeting, which I had also done in Florida, but then decided, what am I doing? This is crazy. And uh, I proceeded to... Um, drink for the next nine months in North Carolina. And what that looked like was getting close to being kicked out of school another time, losing the friends that I had made in just nine months. Um, my family was worried about me. And, you know, I would, throughout my entire drinking career, I would frequently call my dad and, uh, at like two in the morning. And I cannot imagine how terrifying this must have been for him as a parent, for me to just be blacked out and the middle of a different state, sometimes country, calling him like, oh, I'm lost, help me. And like, there's nothing my dad can do, but I did that over and over and over. And it got to the point where like, my dad was like, I can't help you. I can't help you. And uh, you know, he told me, Rachel, the way you drink was the way I drink. And it was to medicate something that was deeper. And I was like, okay, like that's not what's wrong with me, but thank you. Um, and so, you know, towards the end of my drinking, I, uh, I didn't really like to leave my apartment. Um, I, 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 like, I could not leave my apartment soberly. Um, I didn't know how to look people in the eye. Um, I didn't know how to look myself in the eyes, um, not just because I'm blind, but because um, <laughs> I just, I didn't, I didn't like myself. Um, I hated myself. I thought, that the things that I had done, the way that I had felt, like there was just no coming back from that. And I thought that something was so deeply wrong with me that there was nothing that could fix it. I had tried over and over and over. I had said, you know, if I can go two weeks without drinking, I don't have a problem. That was my plan, two weeks and I'm fine. Um, I'd go like two days and say, that's fine. That's, that's as much as I can do. One time I decided to stop drinking and become a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for nine months, so my willpower is fine. <laughs> I just can't stop drinking. So after about a year of trying to stop for two weeks, I, uh, I remember I went to my friend's birthday party and, and I had a drink and then it was time for dessert and I said, well, a drink is dessert. So I got another drink and the whole drive home, I kept thinking, if I stop to get something, I have a problem. If I stop to get something, I have a problem. But, but no, I can't, I, I can't stop to get something because then I have a problem. And like, I didn't realize that the way I was thinking about alcohol was the problem. Um, I thought, if, if I get that, it, then that's what's wrong with me. Like, I just have to not go get that. And so I made it home and um, took something to help me go to sleep and woke up the next day and I said, I have... I have done it. I had two drinks last night. Like, I am amazing. And then I was blacked out by noon that next day. Um, and I was, I was at where I, where I work, the school, and, uh, I, you know, I, I really, I really made, a, made a mess of myself that day in front of a lot. I had to make a lot of amends for that. But um, 
I, you know, that morning I had woken up so proud of myself. Like, I had two drinks last night. Like, normal people aren't really, like, proud of that because it just, like, doesn't matter. <laughs> like, they, they just don't count that. It's just, like, fine. Me? Like, I, two drinks was a miracle. <sighs> but the next day, obviously, that changed. And uh, I woke up the next morning at my friend's house, and they looked at me, and they said, do you remember last night? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And he was like, you remember throwing $20 at me? And I know that sounds insane, um, and it wasn't about the money, although it kind of was. Um, the way that he looked at me and the way I felt that morning was this like utter deep despair of why can't I get this? Why can't I get this? Um, and I knew that day, I was like, I am either going to kill myself, um, get help, or just start drinking and never stop and like stop talking to everybody like I did not um I was at that jumping off place and, and I didn't think anybody could feel the way that I felt and ever get out of it and uh, I remember that day I was walking from school to my apartment because my car had had an incident a little bit before but I didn't have a problem um I uh I walked past a church that I knew there was an AA meeting at that night because I looked it up when I first moved to North Carolina and it was like one meeting, one minute till the meeting started, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And this guy walking in the meeting says, you coming inside? And I was like, well, I guess I am now. Um, and I went in there, and I have no clue what anybody said. I remember um, being scared, but also, you know, that feeling that I got whenever I took the first drink was this like, okay, now I can breathe. Like, things are going to be okay, even if it's just for a little while. Like, everything's going to be okay. And when I sat in that meeting, that was the first time I had had that feeling without a substance in so long. Um, I didn't know what it was going to look like when I left that meeting. I didn't know if, if, if this was going to help me, but I knew right then, like, right now, I'm okay. I can breathe. And somebody after the meeting said, you know, come to my home group tomorrow night. And I said, okay. And I went, and uh, when I was in high school... I didn't drink in high school. I actually um, was a narc, so I wasn't very popular. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I would, uh, this may surprise you as somebody who had no friends, but I would, uh, when I was stressed, I would go around parallel parking for fun. And I'm really good at parallel parking now. So when I was two days sober going to an AA meeting that required parallel parking, and I was crying and couldn't get the car in the spot, um, I, it was devastating to my ego, first of all, if I had any of it left. Um, and I remember seeing in the rearview mirror, like, there's a woman in the car behind me, and I was like, oh, God, please do not let her be going where I'm going. Like, this is just so embarrassing. Like, parallel parking poorly and going to AA, like, does it get any worse than this? <laughs> and uh, I walked into the meeting, and shortly after she walked in behind me, came right up to me and said, so you're new. And I was like, how do you know that? How can you tell? She was like, well, you were crying while parking your car. I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and so, uh, you know, she said, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow night for my home group. And I said, okay. And my parents always told me not to get in cars with strangers, but I hadn't listened to that for years, so I wasn't going to stop now. And, uh, and she picked me up and, and took me to this meeting, and she pointed at a woman and said, you should ask her to be your sponsor. And I said, okay. Um, 
You know, I, I hear a lot now of people who are like, yeah, I, like, I haven't gotten a sponsor yet. Like, I gotta, I gotta find one that fits. Like, I didn't know I had an option. Um, and that's probably a good thing, because uh, if I knew I had an option, I probably would have taken my time. And uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't the right call for me, so God knew that, so he said that one. Um, up until this point, the only thing I knew about AA was what I had heard on my, my drive and uh, what I saw from a TV show called Shameless, uh, which doesn't, doesn't really paint AA in the best light. What I thought, what I thought it was at this point was, um, you get these chips, which you can exchange for drinks at a bar, and you can get a sponsor who will berate you in coffee shops. And for some reason, when this woman said, you should ask her to be your sponsor, I thought, yes. Being berated in a coffee shop sounded better than the way I was living my life. Um, I was truly so desperate for help that, you know, I went up and asked this woman to be my sponsor, and she said, yeah, and she said, meet me tomorrow. And I said, okay, and I went to her house, and um, she had like a, a six-month-old throwing up um, right in front of her. her it was her child. It wasn't just a random six-month-old. Um, <laughs> I was throwing up and like there was all this chaos happening like in her neighborhood and it wasn't until I had been sober like a year or two she was like you know you had to have been really desperate to see that and think this is better than my life <laughs> I was like you are right you know I truly was so broken when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous that it, it wasn't even a choice for me anymore it was either I do this or I'm gonna die and I don't know, you know, I think it was um, purely just a God thing that I, I was like, I, I'll give it a try for a little bit. I'll just give it a try. Um, because I, I really didn't want to die. I just did not want to live the way I was living. Um, and I didn't know that there was another way until I saw this woman with a six-month-old puking and thought, that's great. Um, you know, but she walked me through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and she made it very simple. And... Uh, you know, I think I like to complicate things a lot and make them a lot harder than they are. But, you know, we, we didn't talk too much about all, all the God things, which I love. I, I'll talk to you if you want to about it. But, like, I remember from my drive that it said so many times, like, your own conception, your own conception, your own conception. That by the time I got to talking with my sponsor about it, it was like, yeah, I get it. I've heard it a million times at this point. And, um... And so that really wasn't too difficult for me. What was hard for me was um, sitting down in front of another woman and, and telling her all the things I had felt and all the things I had done because I had been living such a lie that, like, I didn't even know if I could be honest with myself. Um, and I certainly didn't want to be honest with somebody else. And so sitting down in front of that woman to do a fifth step and, you know, being met with compassion but also the truth and reality of things... Um, you know, after that, I didn't feel this, like, weight lifted off my chest of, like, I am a new person, life is great. What I felt was that I had finally taken some action that had shown that I was willing to change. And that I finally felt like I was a part of something and wanted somewhere. Um, and so, my sobriety has not um, been the prettiest, the easiest, and I don't think anybody's ever is. I don't think that's the point of it. Um, you know, it's funny, one of my friends drives me here every year, which is a tradition, because the first year they were afraid I was going to leave if I had my own car, which was true, I probably would have. So, 
Um, I didn't even get a place to hide boxed wine. I wasn't given that option. <laughs> God really took a lot of my options away. He just said, this is what's happening. Um, but, you know, now it's just a tradition, and um, I'm not at flight risk anymore, but I'm too lazy to drive, so. Uh, my first year of sobriety, like, I, uh, I cried pretty much every day, which I still cry a lot. I like to cry. It's fun and freaks people out, which is also entertaining. Um, but I, I cried every day pretty much. And I remember at one point I was sitting in a meeting like six months sober and, and somebody's cheering about how like AA had cured their depression and their life was great. They had money and I'm sitting there six months sober like I still want to die. And I remember crying and somebody pulled me aside after and said, what's going on? And I said, you know, this person, like, they've really got it. They understand this thing, and, like, it's working for them. Like, what am I doing wrong? She's like, you're not doing anything wrong. It's not easy to get sober. you got to just keep going. And I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> um, and then she said, meet me for coffee tomorrow. And that's, that's something that's happened a lot in my time in AA is if, I, if, I, if somebody sees that I'm um, struggling with something, They'll say, meet me for coffee tomorrow. You know, I've never had to do anything alone in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, nothing. And sometimes that's a blow to my pride and my ego. But most of the time, um, you know, it, it reminds me of the drive whenever I heard that, like, I have to be surrounded by other alcoholics if I want to get this thing. Like, it's not an option for me. Um, I have to be honest with people about what's going on in my life. It's not an option for me. If I think I have an option, like, I'm, I'm screwed. Um, but I've not had to do anything alone since I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, my first year was, was um, it was not pretty. And I remember I was, like, nine months sober, and, and I had just gone through this really, like, awful situation. And, and I, I was telling somebody, like, I'm trying to pray. I am trying to pray, but every time I try to pray, I just cry. And they were like, maybe that is your prayer. And I was like, oh, okay. And for some reason, that just like tore down every last wall that I had against some idea of anything I understood and was able to fully surrender to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had been working the steps, I had been doing things, but you know, something I think that was emphasized today was like, it, it's not just like this. Um, this thing where it's like you do step three and it's like this conviction. It's now I take the action and I will figure it out as I go. Like the important part is that I am willing and that I take the action. And that has been repeatedly proved in my life that like I never know if what I'm going to, what I do is going to work. But if somebody suggests it to me and I take the action, my life has turned out great since I came to AA. There have been awful things that have happened, things that I wouldn't wish on anybody, but overall, like, I've had this peace in my life um, that I did not think was possible over three years ago. Um, I did not think that I was capable of having friends. I did not think I was capable of having a relationship with my family. Um, I didn't think I was capable of driving, which is sometimes still up in the air. <laughs> but, you know, with the help of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous, I have learned how to little by little chip away at my ego and chip away at my pride and try to do things that align with something bigger than me. Um, and I don't ever do it perfectly. And, you know, I, I don't want to. 
Um, sometimes when people are like, I can't, I can't do it perfectly. And it's like, I wouldn't want to be friends with anybody who's perfect. Like that would be so annoying. Like I want my friends to be humans, have messes. Like let's talk about life things. If somebody's perfect. It's like, well, like what am I going to, I don't have anything to talk to you about. Um, cause I'm a mess. So like, you know, I don't, I don't think the point is to, um, ever be perfect or, or do things right all the time. I think it's to make mistakes, but learn from them and grow. And the thing about doing that in AA is that I have not found it necessary to take a drink once in that. I've made a lot of mistakes. There've been a lot of times where it's like somebody, somebody, if I were to drink, people would be like, that makes sense. It was hard. Like nobody would judge. Not that they would judge anyway. We're alcoholics. We like to drink, but like, it has not been necessary for me. I have learned through watching other people and through sponsorship and just um, experience that you can get through anything sober. You really can. Like, all it takes is, am I willing to try? Am I willing to ask for help? Um, and, you know, some days that answer changes. Some days I'm less willing to ask for help. Um, and there have been periods of time in my sobriety where, like, I don't really want to talk about what's going on. I don't really want to get honest about it. But anytime I get into enough pain, I will change. That has been proven in my life over and over and over, that I have a very, very high tolerance for pain. Um, emotionally, physically, I am a wimp. But emotionally, a very high tolerance for pain. And so... I think that the longer I stay sober, the more things are kind of revealed that I need to work on. Like, I didn't get sober and God was like, all right, you got to get this in line and this in line and this in line and this in line. It was, you need to stop drinking and start trying to act right. And that was hard enough at first. And the longer I stay sober, there's more things that I get to work on. And it really is an opportunity because, you know, I've learned that I have problems I didn't even know I had because my sponsor or friends will point it out. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I'd been doing that my entire life and might be why people find me off-putting. <laughs> and it's a great opportunity to work on it. Um, but I think, you know, my life, I don't even know if I would have a life if it weren't for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. And if I did have one, it would, there would be no quality in it. Um, you know, it was... It, I don't want to explain it too much because I think a lot of us have felt that just like utter hopeless place where um, there's just no, there's nothing that you can do that's going to fix it. And, um, you know, the only thing that I found that helped was Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my life is beautiful today as a result. Um, I still keep in contact with my sponsor regularly. We meet weekly. I have sponsees. God, I love having sponsees, y'all. Like, first of all, they're hilarious because newcomer problems are amazing. Um, and thank God I don't have them anymore. I have slightly advanced newcomer problems. Um, but to be able to sit down with a woman who is like, I can't stop drinking and I don't know what to do, and be able to say, like, I was, I was there. I was genuinely there. Sometimes I feel like whenever I'm talking to somebody... I want to be able to like take out a little piece of like my inside, like give it to them just so they can see, like, I truly do know what that felt like. Like I know what it's like to be there and it's not going to feel like that forever. If you take some steps, like it is not going to feel that way forever. Um, and that's true even now. Like if I have a bad day, like 
that's just a bad day. Like, it's not going to last forever. And I'm only going to have a bad day as long as I let myself to have a bad day. Like, it's my choice. If I want to be miserable, I can be miserable. If I want to be happy, like, there is absolutely nothing stopping me from tapping into the power greater than myself to be happy right now. It does not matter what is happening. It is my choice. And that is what Alcoholics Anonymous has given me, is not only the, the choice to say, you know what, I don't want to drink, which is amazing. Like, if that was all I got from this program, that would be enough. But it's given me so much more. Because not only do I have the choice to not drink, but I have the choice to be happy and the choice to participate in life and give instead of try and get all the time. Um, and I, I have the choice to be as free as I want to be. And sometimes I like, I like to not be. I like to be the victim. Like, it happens. But it's my choice. And, I, you know, that's not something that's like, I just have. That's not like, I, I just like woke up one day and, and just like had this willpower. Like, it, it has taken um, repeated action. The only reason that I know that I can get through anything sober is because I have faced hard things sober. Right? It's like, if I... If I'd never been through anything hard, then how, how, why would I have faith that this would work? The only way to know that I, for me, the only way for me to know that I had faith that this would work is to get through the hard thing and then look back and realize, oh my God, like, I can't believe that happened. And realize that, like, if it was just me, I know I couldn't have done it. So maybe something's working in my life. Um, I'm not the fastest learner. Um, it takes me making the same mistake over and over to learn that lesson a lot, and I'm always grateful for the reminder. Um, I love coming here every year and just kind of re remembering that it's not as hard as I try to make it. Like, it's really not. It's very simple. And not only is it very simple, but it's nothing I have to do alone. Like, there's so many people here, um, which is terrifying, but also great. <laughs> Um, and like I was, I was thinking earlier, I was, I was sitting alone and I was like, I could go up to anybody and just be like, Hey, and start talking and they would talk back. <laughs> like that's wild. You guys remember going to bars and trying that? Like people did not enjoy it. <laughs> but there are genuinely so many kind people in AA and in the world that like, you're not alone, especially if you're here right now, which if you're not here right now, I don't know how you're listening to this, but <laughs> like this is the perfect place to ask for help if you need it. And I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I think that's all I got.